Good morning. Welcome again to Boulevard Bible Chapel. It's good to see so many here. You know, it's usually in the summertime, about halfway through camp schedule. We're really feeling the absence of so many. Uh, we, we are amazed at, at just how many are involved in the work up at Camp Horizon. But uh, today the Lord has sent a lot of others our way, and we're just very happy to see you here with us today. We should remember to pray for camp. They're starting another week this week. They had a flu that went around the camp last week, and hopefully none of the staff are incubating it to share it for another week. So we should really pray for them that the Lord would really have a great um, uh, result in the hearts of those who have gone up uh, this week to hear the Word of God. Well, if you'll turn with me today to Genesis chapter 31. As was mentioned, uh, we are going chronologically through the book of Genesis right now. And um, so if you have not been here, uh, we hope that we will make enough connection with what's gone before so that you can uh, be right there with us. But uh, thankfully, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching us, for correcting us, for uh, exhorting and correcting us. Um, and giving us instruction in righteousness that we might truly be thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for us. And so, um, looking forward to that this morning. So, between this morning and this evening, we hope, Lord willing, to look at Genesis 31 through 35. We won't be able to give same detail to all the chapters, but um, uh, some of them, uh, I think, we'll, we'll just slow down, especially this morning in 31. And we'll see if we have a chance to get far into 32 uh, before our time ends this morning. But uh, you might be there already. Just by way of context, see, we <clears throat> Abraham had a son, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And the Lord made a statement before those twins were born that in their lifetime the older would serve the younger. But unfortunately, Jacob has been living up to his name, a supplanter, one who seeks to substitute or remove someone else to put himself in their place, usually by devious means. And he has lived up to that very well so far. And he tricked his brother out of the blessing from his father and is on the run. And he went uh, hundreds of miles away to his mother's brother Laban in Padan Aram, back in the Mesopotamia area. And... Um, met Laban's daughter Rachel and uh, agreed to serve seven years to take her hand in marriage but then uh, was tricked by Laban into marrying uh, Rachel's sister Leah and so he worked another seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage as well and uh, we've looked at some of the troubles that they had in the opening of their marriages together and now we're going to pick up the story again in chapter 31. This is Genesis 31, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter, so I'll be reading in the New King James Version. I hope you can follow along with whatever version you've got in front of you. Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers 
and to your family, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock and said to them, I see your father's countenance that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. And you know that with all my might I have served your father, yet your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckled shall be your wages. Then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said, the streaked shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked. And so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of the Lord spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked speckled and gray spotted for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us and also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. Then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, and that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And Laban was told on the third day that Jacob had fled. Then he took his brethren with him and pursued him for seven days' journey, and he overtook him in the mountains of Gilead. But God had come to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. So Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you've stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and, and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs, uh, with timbrel and harp. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good nor bad. And now you have surely gone because you greatly long for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid. For I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force. With whomever you find your gods, do not let him live. In the presence of our brethren, identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent. 
and into the, uh, the two maids' tents, but he did not find them. And then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let it not displease my lord that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. These twenty years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. And that which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you, I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. And thus I've been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you've changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction in the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And Laban answered and said to Jacob, These daughters are my daughters, and these children are my children, and this flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I say this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they have borne? Now therefore come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there on the heap. And Laban called it Jegar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore its name shall be called Galid and Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. If you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham... The God of Nahor and the God of their father judge between us. And Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his brethren to eat bread. And they ate bread and they stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. And then Laban departed and returned to his place. Shall we pray? Oh, Heavenly Father, what a distressing chapter. So much angst and strife in between family. Yet our gods, we, we, we just, we humbly acknowledge that more often than we like to admit, we suffer the same strife in our own lives and family. That we've not lived up to what we know is pleasing to you. And indeed, because of our sin, we just cannot. But that you have a plan. There is a covenant that we can enter into with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, 
that can set all right again. And Lord, it's my prayer today that if there's anyone here who doesn't know their sins forgiven and peace with you and peace even with their fellow man, that they would come to you today, humbling their hearts, even as Jacob did in these chapters before us today, to see you make incredible changes in his life, to make him a new man, set him on a different path. And Father, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word today, that the application that you would have to each of our lives, that you would point it out in our hearts and our conscience and, and lead us and guide us, direct us closer to you and uh, to know you better, to serve you better. We just pray that all things would be done to your honor and glory through our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It is a strange chapter, but a true chapter in the life of a real man. It crossed my mind as I looked at uh, the, begin the opening 16 verses of this chapter. Jacob was unhappy where he was in life. In fact, he was miserable. After 20 years of running from problems, he just found more problems. Isn't that just like life, right? Sometimes we, just, we don't like what's going on. We decide to just go somewhere else and we bring our problems with us. Because sometimes our problems are a result of our, our own selves. And so running away is not the answer, is it? And I think Jacob's finally going to learn that in our lessons today. But in the meantime, he was faced with a decision. Does he continue to stay there or does he move on? And I know that there have been times in my life where I've wondered that same question. What is the Lord's will? How do I know when it's time to move on? And I think that there's some good advice and counsel for us in the story of the life of Jacob today. And if you're in the midst of trying to make a decision, I pray that the Lord would give you the wisdom that you need, even as he gave Jacob in his life. If you look back at the previous chapter, I think we'll find step one in trying to discern the will of the Lord in the leading of our lives. See, it said after the first 14 years of him working for his father-in-law Laban, Genesis 30:25 says, It came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my own country. There was within Jacob a desire to move, to go back to his family, to make this major life change in his life. And yet we see from that passage in chapter 30 that he didn't leave. He ended up staying an extra six years. So why? Well, it goes on to tell us, as soon as he announces that he wants to go, Verse 26, he continues to say, Give me my wives and my children for, for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. He says, I have fulfilled my end of my agreement with you, and now I'd like to go. But Laban appeals to him and says in verse 27, Please, now stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. And so he said to Jacob, Name me your wages, and I will give it. As we look at part number two in trying to discern God's leading in our lives, I think desire is important, but there's something about the aligning of circumstances that comes alongside that that is also very important. But before I actually get into circumstances, I meant to say something else about this whole desire. You know, Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
It's very, very tricky to let our heart lead us. In fact, the Bible would say it's foolish. We are to lead our hearts. We are to prepare our hearts and, and, and direct our hearts in, 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 in the direction towards the Lord and according to His Word, and, and, and our emotions will often follow. But see, there's something else. Uh, for example, especially in our country, we have a great privilege. We're talking about this man's employment. And uh, how often, when we're talking to young people, we ask them this question, what do you want to do when you grow up? What career path do you want to pursue? And so many times, the starting place is, well, I want to do blank. They're expressing a desire in their heart. Now, usually that comes along with something else. And, and to show what I'm talking about, I, I was thinking about the passage in Exodus chapter 35 and 36. See, God was giving instruction to Moses in Exodus. And he, he spent chapter upon chapter laying out very specific instructions as to how the tabernacle was to be made. And we've had very capable brethren coming amongst us to teach about the pattern of the tabernacle, this, some of the, 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 the pictures within it that were not just instruction for them, but are pictures for us to understand the Lord Jesus and how we approach a holy God and how we can worship Him and draw near to Him. But now that the instructions were given, it was time to build the tabernacle. And here in Exodus 35, look what it says. It says, Starting in verse 30, Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name, Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he, that is the Lord, has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he, God, has put in his heart the ability to teach. Not only in him, but also Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. God has filled them with skill to do all manner of work in the engraver and designer and tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread, all the things that God had prescribed for the tabernacle. Now notice verse 30, uh, chapter 36, verse 1. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. And then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan, notice, in, whom the, the, in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. He says, God gave them skill. God gave them wisdom to do various tasks, but with that skill and wisdom, he gave them a heart to do it. Now, see, there are some places in the world and some places in our own country, and sometime, some of us have found us, ourselves there. We've, we've trained for certain careers. We enjoy doing that work, but find ourselves suddenly without employment, without a means to make a living. And we have to make a decision. Well, am I going to wait for something I like to do, simply because I like to do it and want to do it? Or do I just need to get out there and be making some money to pay to support my family and to, to keep my house and to please the Lord with the way that I work in this world? And there are times where it's just plain more important to be having a job than to be evaluating how much I feel fulfilled and enjoy it. And, you know, we can look at men like Daniel who were taken out of his homeland and taken as slaves over to Babylon, and they were faithful workers in a foreign land to a foreign king and pleased their masters 
What a great example to us. Some of us have bosses that might be a little bit more like Laban, changing our wages ten times over in six years. Just to, you, no, no, he's making too much money from me. Okay, wait. No, no, you're, you're not going to get that anymore. This is what you're going to get. But what, I love the testimony of Jacob. He said, if it had been up to Laban, he would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has taken care of me. God has protected me and not allowed him to hurt me. And God can still do the same today, no matter who we work for. He can take care of us, and he, he does. But I, I thought, when we're trying to decide, when we're finding ourselves at some crossroads, how do we know whether or not God is telling us to take that turn? Sometimes God puts a stirring in our heart for that something else. I've seen it in my wife's career before we had children when she was teaching. She loved the place that she worked. She loved doing the work that she was doing as a teacher. But there came a change in the work environment that made her ready to move on. And the same with me. I loved what I was doing, also teaching at the time. But the constraints that they were suddenly pouring upon me were causing hardship in my family. I said, Lord, if you've got something else, I'm ready. And in time, he brought along something else. Maybe you love what you do, but maybe you find something may be changing. So sometimes, just plain, this stirring in our hearts. Jacob had a stirring in his heart to move, but he didn't move in chapter 30. There was something going on. And so, number one, he had a, a, a good welcome from Laban in his present workplace. And he was pleasing to his employer, but there was still a problem there. And so he had a good witness that he was an exemplary employee. He was diligent and God had blessed his employer for his sake. But now look what he says. He says, verse 30, this is chapter 30, verse 30. For what you had before I came was little and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? He said, yes, I've served you and God has prospered you. But look, I don't have the necessities, the wherewithal to really get on with my life and responsibilities, with my family needs are growing. And I've got to, I've got to be concerned with, with my own house here. But then God took care of that. He, Laban said, okay, well, you name your wages and I'll pay it. So he said, okay, well, you know, it is family and, and he's willing to pay it. And so they set up this arrangement. But of course, as we see in the course of the chapter, uh, Laban changed the arrangement 10 times over in these six years. And he was trying to cheat Jacob out of prospering. But I love the end of the chapter. Thus the man, verse 43, became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants and camels and donkeys. God, as much as Laban changed the arrangement, God caused the flocks as they bore to bore according to what the new arrangement was. So if he said, no, 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 you're not going to get the spotted ones anymore. They have to be streaked. Suddenly they're all bearing streaked. And so God was providing for Jacob in spite of what this boss was doing. But now the circumstances have radically changed. Chapter 31 says that Jacob could see in his, in his father-in-law's countenance that he was no longer favored in his presence. Laban's sons were grumbling and complaining about the wealth that God was causing to fall to Jacob as his father-in-law was trying to swindle him. And so now it wasn't just a desire for something different. The very circumstances that he was under was putting pressure on him. And so, not only was that happening, but now notice verse 3, the Lord comes to Jacob and says, 
get up. Get out and return to your family and to your homeland. Now we add something else. The command of the Lord. The word of God speaking to his situation. You know, sometimes when we're trying to make a decision, the counsel is make a pro and con list. Okay? If I keep this job, blah, 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 blah. If I keep this job, blah, 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 which one is longer? But that's not enough. There are times where the pro list for one decision completely outweighs the other. But then there's the word of God. Perhaps that job would require you to do something you know to be wrong. Perhaps the environment that you would be around would be ungodly and would be exposing you to things that you ought not to be exposed to. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. His word is giving you parameters and guidelines contrary to the pro and con list. The word of the Lord, the command of the Lord, essential to the equation. And so in verse 13, as, as, as uh, 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 Jacob calls his wives in to say, look, here's what's happening. I can see your father. He's no longer favorable towards me. And now the Lord has come up and said, it, it's time to move. But what's he doing? He's not just telling them the story. He's seeking their counsel. He comes to his wives and, say, and says to them, here's what I see going on. My desire, circumstances, and the word of God. And they respond, how? They say, you know what? He's treating us like strangers. He's turned us out too. Whatever the... If you're looking for great counsel, look at verse 16. They said, whatever God has said to you, do it. What a confirmation of the Lord's guidance. You know, there was an elder in Asheville gospel chapel when i was up in north carolina who i was uh under his influence for just a brief period of time while the lord had me there but i remember in his counsel towards me he said you know all along the way when he was uh in business when it came time for major decisions he would bring these men in even unbelievers to try to get the response of the spouse regarding this major change in their life And he always counseled them, if your wife, your spouse, is against that decision, pass it by. Your spouse has a vested interest in your your success. And sometimes, look at God told Abraham, listen to what your wife's telling you. There were some times he listened and he shouldn't have. There were some times where God told Abraham, listen to her, what she's saying is right. And I firmly believe that if God has made us one, he will unite our hearts as we seek him. And before the Lord led us towards the direction of of full-time Christian ministry, I remember it was something in my heart, but I could sense that my wife was not united in that conviction, in the confidence and faith in God and his ability to provide. Who knows what, what what the reasons may be? Sometimes people just say, well, that's just women's tuition. It's not to be... Listen, just because someone can't always explain to you in, 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 in the best uh, 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 four-point sermon as to why you shouldn't do something, they may just be speaking the will of God. And we need to listen, and especially our spouses. And I think in our culture, we don't give enough credence to the importance of the unity of husband and wife as we seek to follow the Lord's direction. And uh, we can cause great hardship in our home by not seeking the Lord together 
and coming to this united. But I see what I see here, and I'm sorry to draw this out longer than I intended to, but, but I see it. This, I, we've all been here, right? Is that there are various components to this decision-making process, but when they all come together pointing in the same direction, the confidence that we can have, a desire in the heart, the aligning of circumstances pointing in that direction, the word of God, and even the, the confirmation of godly counsel, all pointing now in the same direction. It's time to move. And sometimes it's scary. Think of the things that they probably told Abram when Abram said, nope, God said I need to leave. Well, where are you going? I'm sorry, I don't know yet, but I, I'm packing up. But he was willing to obey God. And Jacob was willing to obey God. Now, he was a weak man. He did not have a great faith in trusting the Lord. He depended most often upon his own efforts. That's why he got himself into so much trouble. God said that the older would serve the younger, but God did not intend for him to try to steal the blessing from his brother. And because he stole the blessing, he now found himself on the run for 20 years. He reaped what he sowed. He tried, you know, the end did not justify the means. But finally, we see he responds to the word of God. He take, he, he, he's scared. He's scared. He, he admits to Laban in verse 31 of chapter 31. He says, I was afraid. I thought you were going to come after me with your army and take my wives and children. And so I, I, I left without even telling you. Now, that's not the way we recommend for people to move on in their lives. You don't just sh not show up for work the next morning. I'm out of here. Gone. There's proper ways to move on in our lives, right? It might be a letter of resignation. It might be giving our boss enough time to find a replacement and training them up and, get, and make that handoff. There's, there's ways that... And, and can God overrule in these things? Can God bring along the right person in the right time? Can he do that? Absolutely he can. But we have to trust him. And, and, and Jacob was having trouble trusting the Lord, although he was finally in a place willing to obey as all these signals lined up together, pointing him in this direction. But he... He got his things. He put everything together. And it says with everything he had, he stole away and left town. But Laban found out about it and he came and hotly pursued him. And he was quite angry. And who knows what he would have done. I think Jacob's, Jacob's uh, reading of Laban was probably accurate. I think he was coming to do him harm. But can God work? Can Jacob trust God? Look what happens in verse 24. This is Genesis 31, 24. God came to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said to him, you be careful that you do not speak to Jacob either good or bad. He says, you back off. Didn't tell him, don't go see him. I think the Lord wanted to have some closure there. But he says, you don't do him harm. God's protection was upon Jacob. Well, how could Jacob know that the Lord would... How should Jacob have known the Lord would do this? You know, if you just go back a, a few pages. Now, it's, it's fascinating to look at all the, the... This whole story together. We don't have time to do it all. But when Jacob was first fleeing from Esau when he stole the blessing, he came the first night to a place that we now know as Bethel. And... He, he took a stone and set it up for a pillow for himself. And it was there that he had this dream. And in the dream, the angels of God were ascending and descending upon a ladder, going up and down into the heavens. And when he woke up, he said, surely God is in this place. And, and so he, he called the place Bethel, the house of God. And, and, and when he did, 
And he set up this pillar as a monument calling the place the, the, the house of God. It says that God appeared to him in a vision and spoke to him. And here's what the Lord said in Genesis 28, 13. It said, Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. He's repeating the promise that God made to Abraham and to Isaac, Jacob's father. He said in verse 14, Also, your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. Countless. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and to the north and the south. And and in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He's telling him, I'm going to be your father or your God, just like I was with Abraham and Isaac. Notice verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. God has promised him three things. Number one, his presence. Number two, his protection. And number three, his provision. This is the promise of God. Should he have doubted whether God would take care of the changed wages with Laban? He should not have doubted. God said, I will provide for you. Now that Laban is hotly pursuing him, can he trust God to protect him? Yes. Can he know that God is with him? Yes, God promised he would do so. And what is the response of Jacob to this revelation of God? Verse 20, it says, Jacob made a vow and said, if or since God will be with me, with his presence, and keep me in this way that I'm going, his protection, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I, will, I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I've set as a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He says, not only will I call you my God, but I will serve you and offer you that which I have. And so God promised his presence, his protection and his provision. And beloved, he's promised us the same thing. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Are you a child of God today? Have you put your trust in him for your salvation? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Philippians 4.19, God promises that he will supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. All our needs, not always all of our wants, but our needs. And he's also said that he's given us the full armor of God. One of the young children quoted that verse this morning, by which we can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. We need not worry about God's presence, his protection, or his provision today because he has spoken and given us his word. And so he protected Jacob. They didn't trust each other. At the end of their discussion, Laban finally says, what can I do? Right? God says, I can't do anything to you. I want to, but okay, we're going to set up a pillar. We're going to make a covenant. They swore to each other that they would not cross that place to do harm one to another. And they made a covenant. And this covenant, this vow, this oath was something that they did in the presence of God that God would hold them accountable for. And they did that by not only making the pillar I mean, the, the, the setting up a big rock as a pillar, making a heap of rocks, there was a sacrifice to ratify the agreement. And they partook of it. They ate there on the heap. And they entered into that new covenant one with another. Well, you know, besides just trying to decide, should I take a new job or not, or is this the place for me to live? I would just like to say, to you today, especially since there's so many folks visiting here today that I don't even know personally, where you stand before God. Can I just tell you that, like Jacob, a man whose life was filled with trouble because of his own 
failures, his own horrible decisions. The Bible says that you and I are in the same place. Maybe not with our employer, maybe not with a family member, but with God himself. For the Bible says God is a holy God who cannot tolerate sin in his presence in any shape or form. Even one sin is enough to disqualify us from being able to be in his presence, to, to, to cut us off from our very life source, God himself. And that separation, just like cutting off the tree, a branch on the tree, it may still look green, but it's dead, separated from its life source. The Bible says spiritually our hearts were dead before God, cut off because of our sin, our failure, our unfaithfulness in, in serving Him. But you know, He's given us a choice, a decision, a crossroads to come to. Will we continue on that road to a lost, separated eternity, separated from God in a place of torment? We call it hell, the lake of fire, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible says... That's what awaits those who finish this life still in their sin. But God does not desire for anyone to suffer that loss. And so he sent his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And although the penalty for sin was death and Jesus had no sin, he didn't deserve to die. The Bible says he went to that cross to pay for your sin and for mine. To take care of the problem so that it can be taken out of the way and we can be restored to God. But now he says, come to Jesus. He says, I will in no wise cast you out. All who come to me, he will receive. That's what Jesus said. It's a promise. And so if we take a look at this whole decision-making process, I would say to you today, you must have a desire to come draw near to God. He's made you for that. And we feel that curse that we're under, being separated from Him. I know He's put it in your heart because He put it in mine too. And so, the desire's there. Circumstances may have brought you to where you are, but God has aligned them to bring you here today so that you can make a choice. A choice to turn to Him. And the command of Scripture is upon you. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's how we receive the forgiveness of sins, by coming to Jesus. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You're being weighed down and overcome by your sin. Just come to me, he says, I will give you rest. That's his promise to you. And if you're looking for counsel, I can point you to over 100 people here today who've made that choice. And I know there's not a single one who'd say it was a mistake. To know the Lord personally. To know my sin is forgiven. I have trouble forgiving myself, but then I stop and say, God has forgiven me. He's holy. The Bible says He is for us. He gave His Son for you. Have you ever come to Him? Make that decision today. Follow the... the, the all the signs are lining up. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Choose him today. And if you're a believer here today, I would say to you, continue to obey his word. Search the scriptures. Know him. Learn the confidence that Jacob lacked at this stage in his life to rest on the promise of God. I will be with you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Obey my word. You'll never regret it.
Jacob had a lot of regrets, but they didn't come from obeying God. They came from running away from God, disobeying His Word, and turning away from very wise counsel. Well, this evening, we'd like to look at these other lessons that God taught Jacob in his life about how to be restored to his brother Esau, about how to come back to the place where he could know the blessing of God in his life, and even about the importance of a vow before God. And so I hope that you'll be back tonight, but if, you, if not, may the blessing of the Lord rest upon you as you draw near to Him. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, may I plead with you, talk to someone today, know how you can come to Him and have your sins forgiven and start a brand new life with Him today. Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You that You have put us in a place today where we have the freedom to proclaim Your Word openly. Where we don't have to hide it, whisper in the corner, but shout it from the rooftop. There is good news for sinners. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners who gave himself to save each and every one of us who will come to him. And Lord, I do pray that you would help everyone here to, 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 to truly come under that conviction of heart that they truly need the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. And that they would have confidence in your promise that you will receive them if they come to him today. And Father, for those of us who already know you, Lord, we do struggle to follow you as we ought. We thank you that you lead us and guide us. You've promised to do so. We thank you that you know how to protect, to provide, to walk with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. We have lots of decisions to make. Help us to make them wisely, to sense your timing. For even in the coming of Christ, your word says, when the fullness of time had come, then you sent him into this world to be born of a woman that he might redeem and buy back all those who are under the curse that they might be set free we thank you so much for the lord jesus christ we thank you for your presence with us even here today as we gather it's in jesus name we pray amen